Austin Horton here at the EP Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me each and every day here on the Zone Sports Network and the vast array of podcasts everywhere. Uh, you can check us out, 1280thezone.com slash ep-podcast. The Zone Sports Network app in the on-demand audio section. Get us anywhere you find your uh, your uh, podcasts, iTunes, Google, uh, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, on and on and on and on, Spotify. Just go ahead and search EP Podcast. Put my name in there if it needs it, Austin Horton, and you'll find it. You can get me, as always, online on Twitter, at Austin Horton, on our Facebook page, the EP Podcast, or, of course, you can email me, austin.horton at 1280thezone.com. Still needing some nominations for a Military Monday interview, so make sure you get those into me, austin.horton at 1280thezone.com. All right. Can't waste too much time today getting going because it is a top 10 Tuesday. we got 10 stories to uh, fix your fancy as it were here on a Sports Tuesday. We'll have a couple weird ones in the middle as well, but let's get started. Spin that ever-expensive randomized wheel. We'll see what first uh, what comes up first on a top 10 Tuesday edition of the EP Podcast. All right, we're starting with the uh, comments made by Bob Bowlesby, the Pac-12, or rather Big 12 commissioner, who told Seth Davis of The Athletic that he thinks the college football season will uh, begin on time, and he's anticipating that one of the options, one of the likely options at this point, is that there will be a split college football season, meaning they will start on time in August, but that the anticipated uh, return in force with the winter seasons of coronavirus and COVID-19, that then they'll put a pause on the season and resume when things become safer again after another uh, season of social distancing throughout the winter months. They'll resume the season in February or March. At least that's the uh, plan. Not the plan, even. The, the idea that Bruce Bowlesby, or Bob's Bowlesby, Bob Bowlesby rather, is uh, promoting there or, or suggesting. There are so many logistics that go to any of these contingency plans. Uh, with every great idea, positive movement, there's 75,000 negative responses to, well, you can't do it this way because of that. Hotels, travel, food. What if one player gets sick? How are you going to test all 100 and whatever players are on? There's a 100 plus players on a college football roster. And of course, there's then the idea of how many schools there are. 130 FBS athletic directors uh so there's 130 fbs schools that you're talking about here then you got division two or fcs and on and on and on and on and on but i like i like the idea i think that you should give it a shot give it a try if our public uh medical officials i'm going to couch it that way our public medical officials if they are and i'm talking about not necessarily ones that have been elected to their positions but rather those that are paid to be right (laughs) and by right i mean scientifically right not opinionated right uh i I, if they say it's safe to begin a college football season under parameters a b c d e f g do it start it what's the worst that can happen you cancel it midway through You, you have to put a pause on it and see if you can restart it later at least give it a shot then cross the negative bridges when they come up don't go into it blindly Don't just skip along and go, la, 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 virus is a hoax. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying if the public medical officials 
whose uh, passion and drive is motivated by only saving lives and helping people move forward amidst the new normal with this virus amongst us. If they say, yes, it's safe, then go do it in the way they say to do it until they say, actually, no more. It's not safe anymore. You got to stop. Then you stop and you cross that bridge then. So anyway, this idea of a split college football season, I'm a fan of it. I hope it works. I'd rather it just be played normal. That's more and more as the days go by, seeming less and less likely. But we'll have to wait and see. Uh, In the meantime, stay safe. Keep social distancing and uh, cover your mouth. uh, Do a lot of laundry. Wash and wash and wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Did I mention wear a mask in public? All right, there you go. That's the first story here on a Top 10 Tuesday. Let's spin that wheel to see what's next. Okay, a bit of sound here from ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. You saw some reports from he and Shamsharania and others that said the NBA was targeting a hopeful May 1st reopening of some of its NBA city's facilities, practice facilities, in those states and cities where the uh, restrictions have been uh, lessened or, or, or you know, are, are coming back somewhat towards normal. And they said it would be individual workouts, blah, 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 blah. Well, since those initial reports came out, the NBA has now kicked that down the road another week to May 8. And Adrian Wojnarowski on Scott Van Pelt's Sports Center last night, uh, I thought laid it out really well about uh, why the, the, that date first came out, why the change then for a week later, and what the real reality of things going on here is. First question that Scott Van Pelt asked Adrian Wojnarowski was about the timing, the timing of this report. If you're going to say May 1st and then kick it a week later, what's going on here? And, and perhaps the timing of reopening these facilities is not exactly right. Here's what Adrian Wojnarowski had to say about that. Well, uh, Scott, first of all, teams were surprised uh, that the league was going to move this quickly to open up facilities starting Friday. None of them knew about this over the weekend. Uh, there was a small group of owners that this information was shared with. We got wind of it. We reported it before many teams were aware that this was going to happen this soon. And I think the question, Scott, for a lot of them is why what is our reasoning for opening up facilities in georgia in florida just because those governors uh, decided to do that one gm said to me tonight if we need a 15 page memo from the league to get one guy in and out of our building just so we can take shots get shots up like maybe the timing's not right so then what is what's the plan here is this going to be a fast pace return to practice facilities is this going to be a slow return to pace a slow pace return Adrian Wojnarowski said it's leaning more towards the yellow light on the traffic light rather than the green That's right Scott and this wasn't meant to be the beginning of a process where we would start one week with four players and then They could do a little more, and then they could play two-on-two, and then coaches could come in. That's not what this was. Part of it was there was some fear in the league that when the state of Georgia opens or the state of Florida opens, that players in other marketplaces who couldn't get into gyms would start uh, migrating to those areas of the country and go to an equinox, go to a public gym, and the league didn't want that. And then finally, does this mean that uh, the NBA teams are filling 
feeling uh, like they're running out of time to get this thing back up and running? Is this uh, just uh, optimistic hope and, and, and hoping for the best when realizing deep down inside the worst is probably true that there will not be another season here's what or the finish to the season here's what Woj said about that more than ever scott i think this is a league that is really willing to push the calendar on this season you know i had reported back and i lose track of time maybe three weeks ago it could have been three years <laughs> ago uh, but that the league wanted to have the finals wrapped up ideally by Labor Day weekend. They are more willing than ever to delay the start of next season. And part of that reason is that might give them more time next year to be able to have fans in the building. But next season, the fear of having to start the year in empty arenas, and if they were gonna start at their normal time, mid, late October, it's hard to imagine um, that there would be fans in the stands. And so I think as much time as they can buy for themselves, I think the league is willing to do that right now, and they're trying to look at everything. And this isn't just a let's figure out the next couple months in this season. This is over. This is a two, three, four-year look moving forward. So there you go. Adrian Wojnarowski on ESPN talking about the May 8 now target date for NBA facilities to open up, practice facilities to open up in select areas. Chris Maddox, I thought, on the big show had a great point that no matter if it's if it's not all 30 – NBA facilities opening at the same time on the same day to the same amount of people with the same rules and parameters. Someone's going to have an advantage over another team come playoff time, and that's going to compromise it. You can check that out at 1280thezone.com. Man, what a strange story this one is. So the New England Patriots picked up Justin Rohrwasser, uh, a kicker in the NBA NFL draft over the weekend. And then these pictures surfaced of a tattoo that Rohrwasser is uh, sporting uh, on his body, and it is a three percenters tattoo. Well, Rohrwasser says uh, he got the tattoo when he was 18 years old, and he thought it was... Uh, a patriotic thing. <laughs> and, and I'm going to quote him exactly here. What, and what, by the way, three percenters, uh, it's a, uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center and Anti-Defamation League classified the three percenters as an anti-government organization. In a statement on its website, the right-wing group says it exists to, quote, reign in an overreaching government and push back against tyranny, close quote, adding later that it is a not a militia and not anti-government, although the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center and Anti-Defamation League classifies it as anti-government. Here's what Rohrwasser had said had to say about it. Quote, the first time I found out what it was linked to was Saturday, he said of the tattoo on his uh, left arm, which he got when he was 18. Quote, as soon as I saw what it was linked to on Saturday, at exactly that time, I knew I had to get it totally taken off my body. I said cover it up but I want to get it removed from my body. It's shameful that I had it on there ignorantly. I'm sorry for all my family that have to defend me. Putting them in that compromising position is one of the biggest regrets I'll ever have. To them, I'm sorry, and I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to take ownership of it. No matter what, that's not who I am, and hopefully you will all find that out. Close quote. He uh, said in another statement, he's a very patriotic person, loves his country, loves America, and uh, has military uh, lines in his family and, of course, honors and respects that. Uh, and I believe, call me crazy, this is the second thing around the NFL draft that I believe, kind of, 
First, I believe C.D. Lamb's girlfriend's explanation that it was his agent calling. Totally believe that. But on this one, I do 100% believe that he does not feel the way that the three percenters group is supposed to, is proposed to feel, is to, uh, how they carry themselves and what their goals are. I'm not sure that I believe when he was 18 he got this thinking it was a pro-government or pro-America thing. I, I, I don't believe that. I think that he was 18, he was stupid, he made a bad mistake, a permanent decision that a lot of people make when they're young, uh, and get some tattoos that they later regret sometime soon, sometimes long, but thereafter a lot of people regret tattoos they get, and I think that this is the case. Now, if I were his PR guy, I'm telling him exactly to do exactly what he's saying, that he didn't know what it meant and he'll get it removed immediately, when really what it, the truth might be is that he knew what it was then, he no longer stands for it now, and he should have got it repla- uh, removed uh, by now, but now that he's in the spotlight, it's a story. Anyway, crazy stuff. Word to the wise, moral of the story, don't get a tattoo unless you're sure that you're permanently going to want that on your body in the fashion it's immediately put there in. Now, you can always change them, alter them, get them covered up, remove them painfully, expensively, but, word of the wise, trust me, when you're getting a tattoo, you make sure that it is a lifelong decision, not just a 18-year-old, I'm bored, I have an extra, extra cash, let's go get matching tattoos decision. Staying with the NFL draft, T. Higgins, Clemson wide receiver, uh, when he was uh, drafted in the, uh, to the Bengals in the NFL draft, the NBA or the NFL draft graphic that went up on ESPN's broadcast said hometown Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Finalist for 2016 Tennessee Mr. Basketball, held offers from Louisville, Auburn, and Tennessee. His sister Kiki played basketball for Middle Tennessee State. And then there's this at the bottom of the graphic. Mom, Camellia, fought drug addiction for 16 years. I I don't think ESPN did this as a getcha thing i don't think they're like haha your mom was addicted to drugs i don't think that this was some auburn fan that wanted to get at a clemson guy or, or whatever uh or memphis fan behind the graphic there i just i think that they had an ill-advised moment where they found this information and, uh, and they just threw it up there and they wish they hadn't they have apologized they have said that they wish they hadn't included that but i want to celebrate t higgins response to the entire thing because what he said about the graphic going up uh, during when he was selected uh, in the draft was really, really mature, and I could not agree with him more. The former Clemson wide receiver responded to the screenshot of the graphic and said that he saw the story's inclusion in an inspirational sense, writing, quote, I'm proud of my mom for turning her life around for me and my sister. I have no problem with them showing the world that my mom is a true fighter. Close quote. Absolutely an incredible response, and I and I I believe that he believes that. I know people close to me in my life that uh, fought a drug addiction for years and years and years and years, and now that they're clean and they've been clean for a long time, even if you've been clean a day, you wear that thing as a badge of freaking honor and bravery. I don't care if you're overcoming cigarettes. I don't care if you're overcoming eating. I don't care if you're overcoming hardcore drugs. If you have overcome it for a day, 
that's a victory. And T. Higgins is absolutely right to wear that thing as not a mark against his mother or his family, but as a mark for them. For them to point to that and say, we've been through hell and back, and we fought our own way out of it, and we clawed through it, and we got past it. That is something that too often people are ashamed of and want to hide and want to keep that from people. Now, I, I understand that you, you, you may not, let's say for there's specific examples where you wouldn't want people to know. It's not something you walk into a job interview and say, hey, by the way, because, you know, you, you don't want people to judge you that way and not give you a job or and on and on and on and on. But when it's, I think too often there are appropriate moments where you can wear that as a badge of honor to show your integrity, to show your guts and your grit and your bravery and just how strong of a person you are that people decide not to out of fear for what people might think of them. That's those people's fault uh, problem. What they think of you is their problem, not yours. If you're listening to this and you are either currently going through a recovery, thinking about starting a recovery, or haven't thought about doing a recovery yet until this moment, I am with you. I am beside you. I love you. I think you're strong. I think you're brave. Uh, stronger and braver than I, anything I've ever had to attempt to do. Get I just really forget about people's judgments of you and enjoy your life and wear it as a badge of honor that you are fighting through, yes, some poor decisions that you've made, but better decisions and you'll be a better person for having gone through hell and come out on the other side smiling. So a big ups to T. Higgins and his mother, Camelia and their entire family. I love that story. All right, no need to spin the wheel for the fifth story each week. This is where we give you the randomness the, the random weird story of the week, a, a non-sports story. And this one, where else could I go except to the declassification of the videos that the uh, Department of Defense has of unidentified flying objects that were captured on video and radar by some Navy pilots back in 2015. Here's a news report on the matter that I found quite entertaining. Just when you thought 2020 couldn't get any more bizarre. My gosh. The Pentagon declassifying three videos of what they're calling unexplained aerial phenomena. Look at this thing. It's rotating. Two videos showing objects spotted by Navy fighter pilots during training flights in 2015. And this one from 2004 showing an object about 40 feet long hovering about 50 feet above the water. Weird, right? Well, get this. The videos were previously leaked by a private company founded by Blink-182 rocker Tom DeLonge. The singer tweeting on Monday, the Pentagon just officially released my videos. Just saying. So why are they being released now? A spokesperson saying, after a thorough review, the department has determined that the authorized release of these unclassified videos does not reveal any sensitive capabilities or systems. DOD is releasing the videos in order to clear up any misconceptions by the public on whether or not the footage that has been circulating was real. Harry Reid, former senator of Nevada, home to the infamous Area 51, tweeting, I'm glad the Pentagon is finally releasing this footage, but it only scratches the surface of research and materials available. But the DOD not offering much more info, saying the aerial phenomena observed in the videos remains characterized as unidentified. Retired Navy Commander David Fravor was piloting the jet in the 2004 video. 
and it's moving around left, right, forward, back. The radar immediately starts getting jammed. All of a sudden, it takes off. A mystery of galactic proportions. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. How do you explain a whole fleet of unidentified UAPs? Well... E.T. phone home. The Navy has acknowledged that the release of these newly declassified videos prompted the development of new guidelines for how pilots should report sightings of unauthorized or unidentified aircraft, which means it must be happening enough for them to need the guidelines. Crazy story, but the craziest part is Tom from Blink-182. <laughs> right? I got whiplash so, from that transition. I a man of many interests and talents. Turn the <laughs> right. lights off. Oh my Carry gosh, it's just George home. Jetson, guys. Take me out of here. <laughs> 2020 did not come in peace. <laughs> Look, I'm not alien guy. I, I don't, I think there are, I think it's uh, extremely possible and highly likely that there are other worlds out there. There are solar systems and galaxies that we don't have eyes on that we don't know about. There's got to be intelligent life out there someplace. Do I think that they're secretly coming to Earth in these uh, weird little videos? No. The, 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 if they're going to come to Earth, we're going to know about it, widely, in my opinion. Now, there's those that disagree with me, and that's fine. But, in the, especially in this very video, you see these little tiny shadow things. It's There was better definition in the uh, original Bigfoot hoax video. that You could at least see that, that what the shape of that was. This is just a, a shadow, uh, 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 and it's blurry it's I, i've seen better graphics on the snake game back on my old nokia brick phone okay this is not aliens it's unidentified flying objects that does not mean that you ought to be calling up randy quaid and getting a, an artillery ready in the basement or in the back of your yard in the shed an arsenal i should say you gotta just calm down folks is there intelligent life somewhere out there you betcha is it here amongst us I don't believe so. And if you do, you're a far more fascinating person than I'll ever be able to imagine or dream to be. So there you go. The UFO story that has just taken the world by storm. All right. Spin that wheel again. Let's get back to the final back half of a top 10 Tuesday. Sorry, not sorry. You've been watching The Last Dance. If you saw episodes uh, three and four, then you definitely saw the bad boy Pistons era make its appearance. Everyone knows that uh, Isaiah Thomas was left off the dream team, presumably by Michael Jordan as the ringleader there. Chuck Daly was the coach of the dream team, by the way. He was Isaiah Thomas' coach in Detroit. There was a lot of, you know, all kinds of stuff. In fact, there's a great moment a couple years ago where Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas are talking in an interview, and Magic apologizes to Isaiah and asks for his forgiveness for leaving him off the dream team. Well, in the Last Dance documentary, you see when the Bulls finally are able to overcome the Pistons and beat them to make it to the finals and win the Eastern Conference, Bill Lambeer tells his teammates, we're not shaking the Bulls' hands, and they'll leave the court before the game's over and don't shake their hands. Isaiah Thomas was among them. Bill Lambeer was asked by Rachel Nichols on her show The Jump on ESPN if he regretted that. Bill Lambeer, in classic Lambeer uh, bravado, said, no, I don't regret it. Well, just that. Uh, you know, they whined and cried for a year and a half uh, about how, how bad we were for the game. But more importantly, they, 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 they said we're bad people. We weren't bad people. We were just basketball players winning. 
And that really stuck with me because they didn't know who we were or what we were about as individuals in our family life. So with all that whining they did, why shake their hand? They were just whiners. They won, they won the series, give them credit. We got old, they got past us, but okay, move on. Do you regret now not shaking their hand? Do you stand by no. that? No. Why would I regret now today? I don't, I don't care what the media says about them. I never did. If I did, I'd be a basket case, uh, especially back then. Uh, so, you know, I just I was about winning basketball games and winning championships and did whatever I had to do to get the most out of my ability and our team. And we did. We go, at the end of the day, we're called world champions. So he's not sorry. Isaiah Thomas, though, on the show with Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman, the Get Up Show, Isaiah Thomas had a different tune to whistle than Bill Lambeer did. I would say I've paid a heavy price for for that for that moment, and and if and if that moment meant that I I'm not selected to be on the dream team because of that moment, uh, that 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 that's hurtful. That that's that 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 cuts deep uh, because in, in 1980 uh, I was I was selected as the male athlete uh, by the U.S. Olympic Committee. And in 1980, the Olympics were boycotted. And the only glaring hole that's missing on my resume is an Olympic gold medal. I was the MVP in 1979 in the Pan Am Games, the youngest player to have ever won an MVP uh, at that time in the Pan Am Games in 1979. I was in high school. Uh, in, in 80 on the Olympic team and now to be left off the dream team. Uh, and the criteria for the dream team was, you know, who's done the most for the game, uh, who's won the most championships. And at that time, I think Magic had won four, Bird had won three, I had won two, and Jordan, uh, you know, had just won one. Uh, so I, I, I thought that I was safe. So uh, not making that team, that, that definitely hurt. That, 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 that hurt me tremendously. Max, give me a second to follow here. Look, I come from the world of, uh, I, I love what hockey does. They literally beat each other up for three periods, 20 minutes, 60 minutes on the ice uh, of game time, that is. Uh, then and they and then at the end of it, after beating each other up and spilling each other's blood and uh, knocking each other's teeth out onto the ice, at the end of every hockey game, they all line up, skate past each other, and shake hands. There's the rare exception to that, but almost all the time, hockey ends with a sportsmanship handshake. It's incredible. It's so it's phenomenal. I'm from that school of thought, but I don't really care that the Pistons did not shake the Bulls' hands. After the Eastern Conference Finals. Is it petty? Yes. Is it life-altering for me? No. The bad boy Pistons. They didn't care about anybody's opinion of them. They did not care what you thought of them. They didn't play by the rules. They were dirty. They won championships that way. So if anyone's surprised or appalled that the Pistons got walked off the court without shaking the Bulls' hands, Pasha, please. There's bigger problems in this world than worrying about the petulant children that played for the bad boy Detroit Pistons. I do like Isaiah Thomas' approach, though, saying it's something he regrets. He admits he did pay the price a heavy price for it. Maybe some of that played into why he didn't make the dream team. Michael Jordan's a petty guy. That's not news either. In fact, what I think we're learning more and more every day, especially through documentaries like The Last Dance, is the level of immaturity and pettiness among professional athletes is mind-blowing. 
that the grown men and women for that matter when they get into uh women professional athletes that the pettiness that exists in some of these professional athletes is just laughable and it's too bad that isaiah thomas was not on that dream team because he deserved to be based on his merits of basketball but you know politics is at play every single day in almost every situation and that's just life but do i care that the pistons didn't shake the bulls hands not one stinking iota If you missed this fishing story, you missed a great one. There's an angler by the name of Michael McElroy III. Uh, he uh, caught a 236.6-pound yellowfin tuna four days before Mississippi's shelter-in-place order took effect and was certified as a state record last week, but his timing could not have been worse. This from the Sun-Herald, according to Bobby Carter, director of the fishing tournament. He said, quote, If he had caught it during the 2018 Mississippi Gulf Coast Billfish Classic, it would have broken the state record and won a half million in cash. Close quote. This poor guy, he caught this giant tuna, and all he has to show for it is the... I mean, he got a pretty... I'm sure he got a pretty uh, penny to uh, to sell the thing. Tuna of that size especially is going to bring you some cash. It's not a half a million, though. It's not $500,000, and it took him five and a half hours to land the, the yellow fin. Uh, it was unknown how many fishermen were with him at the time. Uh, it's the biggest fish I've ever caught, McElroy told the Sun-Herald. He also told the Herald there wasn't much of the fish going into the freezer, saying, we are eating a lot of it and sharing with family and friends. So I guess he didn't get too much money. He parted it out. So uh, he seems to be taking it in a stride, but man, I would be distraught to know that I lost out on $500,000 cash. Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom stinking Brady. He was so annoying in New England, he is even more annoying thus far in Tampa Bay. Two parts to this story. First of all, I'm going to play you a sound clip from Tom Brady where he sounds like he's been kidnapped and he's holding up a newspaper to uh, that his hostage is or as a hostage, and his captors are making him say this statement, I love to be in Tampa Bay. Here's Tom Brady pretending he's excited uh, to be with the Buccaneers. I'm so happy to be in Tampa Bay, and I wanted to say thank you guys for welcoming me and my family into your community with open arms outside of getting kicked out of the park the other day. I'm so excited to be a Buck. So we have an incredibly exciting season ahead. I can't wait until we can get together as a team start our practices and start working hard to improve. There's a lot of work to be put in between now and the start of the season, but I'm looking forward to seeing you guys at Raymond James in a couple short months. I promise you that. So stay safe, everyone, and let's go Bucks. In that video, by the way, looks nothing like Tom Brady. Here's my conspiracy theory, and here's where I get a little crazy. I talked about the UFO conspiracy earlier. I'm just as bad because I don't think that's Tom Brady. It doesn't look a thing like him. It hardly even sounds like him. Uh, he's got the same mouth and teeth as Tom Brady. Otherwise, it looks like a really bad Las Vegas impersonator uh, of Tom Brady. But anyway, that's beside the point. The second part of this story is that Tom Brady last week accidentally walked into someone else's house. It, was a, it happened to be a comedian there in Tampa Bay. He walked into his house because he lived next door to Byron Leftwich, the offensive coordinator for the Buccaneers, and their houses look very similar. They're just mirrored 
and lift, which is, is a little bit bigger, but they're mirrored. And so we walked into this guy's house and the guy was there in the front door and was like, uh, you're in the wrong house, guy. Tom Brady then went and visited with Byron Leftwich in his home moments later. Well, the NFL uh, teams are livid about that because, as you may or may not know, that is against the rules right now. Brady walking in to meet with a, an NFL coach is against the CBA rule. It says that players are not allowed to meet with the team coaches to discuss football before official offseason activities have commenced. And as those haven't commenced it could be conceived that Brady was in violation of those rules by visiting Byron Leftwich other teams uh, have reportedly reached out to the league to express their anger with Brady violating the rules and this from CBS Sports according to Jason LaCanfora a NFL reporter teams around the league have conveyed their dismay to league officials about Brady's meeting and since they believe the quarterback violated league policy the teams are anticipating some stern discipline for Brady and or the Buccaneers as one source told pro football talk what Brady did was quote totally illegal close quote Tom Brady a cheater not shocking now, is this as egregious as taping another team's sidelines signals? Is this as egregious as uh, uh, illegally deflating footballs? Is this as egregious as destroying your cell phone so that no one can see the text messages or whatever you have sent? No. But is it against the rules? Yes. Will Tom Brady be disciplined for it? Probably not. But then again, he was disciplined for the uh, deflate gate. And so maybe, maybe he'll have some retribution coming his way. He could just explain this away, though, as they weren't meeting to talk football. They were meeting for a lunch to talk movies. You don't know what they were talking about. Nothing's going to happen to Tom Brady here. All right, SB Nation recently ran a poll where they had, was it 64 teams? How many, how many teams were they doing here? Yeah, they had 64. They came up with 64 teams in NBA history and split them into four different divisions. And they wanted to find out the best NBA team to never win the NBA title. Uh, Good and bad news here for Utah Jazz fans as the 96-97 Utah Jazz, the first of the two, of course, Utah teams to fall short to Michael Jordan's Bulls in the NBA Finals, the 96-97 Jazz came out on top as the best NBA team in history to never win a championship. As I saw a lot of people make a joke on Twitter, hang a banner, the the Jazz are the champions of never winning a championship. Ugh, it's just, why, 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 why SB Nation? You don't got to do this to us. We know. We know the Jazz were the greatest to ever not win a championship. The, the second year that they, they got to the finals was probably the second greatest NBA team to never win an NBA championship. There's been a lot of greats that came, uh, came up short. The Jazz are right there at the top, and now officially, according to SB Nation's uh, bracket, they are the best NBA team to never win a title. Dot, dot, dot. Yet. And that brings us to our final story on a Top 10 Tuesday Jordan Love and the drama that is already beginning in Green Bay. Jordan Love going from the Aggies to the Packers with the 26th overall pick in the first round. Aaron Rodgers has reportedly not been pleased by that selection. He also said a few weeks ahead of the draft that they might take a quarterback and he wasn't worried about it because that quarterback was never going to beat him out anytime soon no matter who it ended up being. 
Well, we know that Aaron Rodgers is a petty person. That's on record. Google it. You can. There's a long list of ways that Aaron Rodgers has shown he's petty and holds a grudge better than most people ever could. Uh, Jordan Love was asked by Maria Taylor on ESPN uh, yesterday or the day before. I can't remember if this was Sunday or Monday about whether or not he had spoken with Aaron Rodgers. And if you thought that Tom Brady clip I played a little bit ago sounded like someone reading something his PR team or his agent typed up for him, wait till you hear this line of typed out thoughts from Jordan Love. Jordan is joining us now, and he had one of the more extraordinary stories from yesterday. Jordan, you were a guy who had one offer from a major Division I school, and now you are a first-round draft pick. How do you describe the journey that you've been on and the moment that you're living in right now? Man, it's been a, it's been a crazy journey for me. Um, you know, one with a lot of ups and downs. Um, and it's an exciting time for me and my family to you know be able to experience this. Well, the next experience will be hanging out with uh, Aaron Rodgers. The question is, have you had any conversations with him already since you've been drafted? Yeah, I was able to talk with him earlier. Uh, you know, really good guy. Um, you know, just congratulate me. Um, you know, I was just let him know that I'm excited to be able to work with him. What do you hope to be able to learn from a guy who's a Super Bowl champion? Um, it's a lot of things to be able to learn. Um, I'm just trying to take it step by step and um, just trying to get behind him and you know, learn everything that he's uh, doing and just try and you know, understand the process. Well, congratulations, Jordan. It sounds like you got some dogs to feed outside, so I'll let you get back to that. You're a first-rounder <laughs> and a great story. We'll be watching you all season long. All right, thank you. See you. All I all I heard there was, yeah, Aaron Rodgers already hates my guts. I'm already I already know that I can't ever ever learn anything from him because he's not interested in my success. But I'm excited to be in the NFL and I'll do what I can to stay away from Aaron Rodgers. That's what the truth was there, not what not what Jordan Love was trying to show out to us. That's what the team, uh, the Green Bay Packers, want you everyone to think. What's really happening there is Aaron Rodgers called him up, said, "Congrats, welcome to Green Bay. Stay the hell away from me." That is what went down there. All right, that does it for a Top 10 Tuesday edition of the EP Podcast. I'm Austin Horton. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you on an Acoustic Wednesday edition coming up tomorrow. And until then, you be good to each other. Time now for the laugh of the day. (laughs) Even our parenting styles are different. Like, I'm more like a, I worry a lot. Like, I'm an over-worrier. And um, she's more like, let the kid make a mistake, and then they'll never do it again. You know, that type of parenting. Do you support that type of parenting? Well, like, the other day, um, there was a boiling pot of water on the stove. And my three-year-old toddler started walking towards the water. And I freaked out. I was like, dude, stop right there. Hot water, no. And my wife goes, hey, let him touch it. If he touches it, he'll never do it again. And I go, yeah, I don't uh, disagree with you. (laughs) I think you're probably right that if he touches boiling water, uh, he'll never do it again. But I feel like with my method, he'll still have like a face with skin. (laughs) I'm sure you're right. I'm not trying to argue with you. I'm sure you're right. I think the nub will be a reminder to him to not touch boiling water. We're both right. I'm just throwing out (laughs) other ideas because I had trouble with girls, you know, and I had an intact face. And so (laughs) just trying to help out our boy, you know.